Exodus chapter 22, verse 1. If a thief be found breaking in, and be smitten so that he dieth, there shall be no blood guiltiness for him. God is saying that home robbery, if you do that and the homeowner kills you, they're not at fault. 2. If the sun be risen upon him, there shall be blood guiltiness for him. He shall make restitution. If he have nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If you get caught stealing in somebody's home, then you have to pay it back. And if you can't pay it back, then you become a slave to pay it off. 3. If the theft be found in his hand alive, whether it be ox or ass or sheep, he shall pay double. If you are in the act of stealing one sheep, you have to pay for two. 4. If a man cause a field or vineyard to be eaten, and shall let his beast loose, and it feed in another man's field, of the best of his own field and of the best of his own vineyard shall he make restitution. If you let your animal eat somebody else's produce that they're growing, then you have to replace it with the best of your own. So for instance, if they ate, you know, 30 pounds of carrots, then you can't bring 30 pounds of your worst carrots that you have that are all rotten looking. You have to bring 30 fresh, gorgeous, plump, vibrant looking carrots. You have to replace it with the very best carrots that you grow. This is so awesome. See how fair God is? He doesn't let people fake that they're sorry. You have to give the best. You have to give double to prove that you're sorry. Restitution isn't just scraping by with the least amount of whatever you can give back. Like the way a lot of people apologize is not good. They'll say, if I offended you, I'm sorry, which is not an apology at all. It's basically a slap in the face telling you that you're crazy and that you imagined the whole thing. Or they know that they stole $5 from somebody and they'll go and say, well, I'm sorry for stealing from you, but they'll never dream of giving you the $5 back. So that's not really restitution. God is saying if you're truly sorry or if you get caught, you need to pay full up. You need to make it good because you cost the other person time, interest, upset. You cost them a lot more than just the cost of taking something from them. And by having to pay double back, it proves that you aren't going to try to steal from them again. If you only have to pay for the sheep that you stole, that's basically a backhanded way of just making a purchase. And that's not acceptable. So that's why God requires that they pay double so that next time they have to knock on the front door and say, hey, can I buy a sheep? They have to do it the right way. So God doesn't let us get away with any type of disrespect or any laziness in making amends with people. God knows what it takes to make things right with the other person. 5. If fire breaks out and catch in thorns, so that the shocks of corn, or the standing corn, or the field are consumed, he that kindled the fire shall surely make restitution. Which means, if you burn somebody's live crops, you have to pay for all the crops that you burned. That keeps you careful with your fire. Because if there was no punishment for this, then people would have careless fires, and they wouldn't care if their neighbor's crop burned. But because there's a punishment, that prevents carelessness. 6. If a man deliver unto his neighbor money or stuff to keep, and it be stolen out of the man's house, if the thief be found, he shall pay double. If I give my neighbor my TV set, for instance, and then a stranger comes and breaks into my neighbor's house and takes the TV set, the stranger who gets caught, they have to pay double for it.
7. If the thief be not found, then the master of the house shall come near unto God to see whether he have not put his hand into his neighbor's goods. God knows that your neighbor could lie and say, oh, a thief stole it, but actually he's lying and nobody stole it. He stole it. So now God says, if the neighbor claims that it was stolen, but there's no proof because we can't find the thief, then this is what will happen. 8. For every matter of trespass, whether it be for ox, for ass, for sheep, for raiment, which is clothing, or for any manner of lost thing, whereof one saith, This is it, the cause of both parties shall come before God. He whom God shall condemn shall pay double unto his neighbor. That means that if your neighbor claims that the TV set was stolen, and they can't prove that it was stolen, there's no thief being caught, then both you and your neighbor have to go and stand before God, and God will judge, and then whoever was telling the lie has to pay double. So how was God going to tell them? They had um, the Uman and the Thuman, and we'll learn about it later. It's kind of mysterious to me. I don't totally understand it, but apparently there was stones on the priest's breastplate and the stones would turn colors. One would light up for yes and the other would light up for no, or one would light up for this man, the other would light up for that man. And then the people would know what God's answer was. We're going to learn about the Uman and the Thuman later, but that's what I think this is talking about, is they're going to go before the priest and on the priest's breastplate, God will light up either the Uman or the Thuman, and that will say who is guilty. This has to do with the ephod that is created for the priest that God will give instructions on how to create that. And it has stones sewn into it. 9. If a man deliver unto his neighbor an ass or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep, and it die, or be hurt, or driven away, no man seeing it. 10. The oath of the Lord shall be between them both, to see whether he have not put his hand into his neighbor's goods, and the owner thereof shall accept it, and he shall not make restitution. If I give any property that I own to my neighbor to hold it, and the property gets destroyed in any way, but there's no proof of how it got destroyed, and we don't know if my neighbor is guilty or not, then both me and that man stand before the Lord again, and we both have to swear an oath that we're being honest, and then the Lord will reveal who the liar is. And then if the Lord reveals that my neighbor didn't hurt me in any way, then I have to accept what the Lord says. So again, I think this is talking about the Uman and the Thuman, one of them lighting up. 11. But if it be stolen from him, he shall make restitution unto the owner thereof. The Lord says that my neighbor did take my goods or destroy my goods, then he has to make restitution to me. 12. If it be torn in pieces, now this is talking about an animal, because normally back in those days, what you would have your neighbor take care of is an animal, like a lamb, a sheep, an ox, or whatever. If it be torn in pieces, let him bring it for witness. He shall not make good that which was torn. Torn means a wild beast ate it. If he produces your sheep and it's been eaten by wolves and it's torn up by wolves, then he's not guilty and he doesn't have to replace it. It was like an act of nature. 13. And if a man borrow aught from his neighbor and it be hurt or die, the owner thereof not being with it, he shall surely make restitution. If I borrow an ox from my neighbor because I need it to plow my field and the ox gets injured while it's in my care, then I have to make restitution for my neighbor because he was good enough to let me borrow the ox, but I could have been careless 
or abusive to the ox. Therefore, I have to make restitution. See how God doesn't let people get away with manipulations and lies. Because if it weren't for these laws, there's tons of people who would go, oh neighbor, can I borrow your ox? And then they would just wear it to the ground because they don't own it and they figure it's not my loss. Or they would beat it to death or not feed it and not give it water and let it thirst to death or starve to death. And then they would go in their neighbor and say, oh, he just killed over. I don't know anything about it. God is saying, if you borrow something, you're totally responsible for it. You have to make sure it goes back in good condition. 14. If the owner thereof be with it, he shall not make it good. If it be a hireling, he loseth his hire. If the owner comes with the ox, then it isn't my fault if the ox dies. Like if the owner is actually helping me plow my field with his own ox, then it's not my fault if his ox dies, because he was there, and he could have taken care of his own ox. If he brought the ox for me to hire, and he was with the ox when it dies, then I don't owe him any money for the work of the ox, because he was deliberately bringing me a sick, old, weak animal that was about to die, that wasn't fit to work. 15. And if a man entice a virgin that is not betrothed, meaning she's not engaged, and lie with her, he shall surely pay a dowry for her to be his wife. If you commit fornication with a woman and you take away her virginity and she is single, then now you just bought a wife. You have to marry that girl. You have to pay the dowry to her father and you have to marry her. And now she can't marry anybody else because now that she's not a virgin, nobody else is going to want her. So you just bought her. 16. If her father utterly refused to give her unto him, he shall pay money according to the dowry of virgins. If her father thinks that you would make an awful husband and he doesn't want his daughter to go with you, you still have to pay the dowry even though you don't get the wife. The father has the option of saying, yeah, I'll take the dowry because you took my daughter's virginity, but you're not getting her for a wife because I don't trust you to take good care of her. 17. Thou shalt not suffer a sorceress to live. So somebody who practices sorcery has to be put to death. Because when you practice witchcraft or sorcery, you are literally worshiping Satan and you are literally a servant of Satan. They've dedicated their lives to service to Satan. There's no way that they can stay in the community. You'll see this with alcoholism too. If somebody's an alcoholic, they have to be put to death. If they kill their parents, they have to be put to death. If they commit rape, they have to be put to death. If they commit sorcery, they have to be put to death because that disease will spread. They'll teach it to other people. If they're allowed to remain alive, they're going to breed other people who do the same thing. For instance, if an alcoholic is kept alive, his son will become an alcoholic and his grandson and on and on. And he'll entice his neighbors to start drinking. Witches always work in covens. So if the witch is kept alive, she'll in time create a coven and then there will be a whole group of witches. And that's why for certain sins, he said the person has to be put to death. It's to totally purge that sin from the community so that it doesn't get copycatted. 18. Whosoever lieth with a beast shall surely be put to death. And that means raping animals. Some people call it sex with animals or bestiality. I call it rape because the animal doesn't have a choice. Humans have power over animals, and there's no animal that would initiate sex with a person. That's always coming from the person, and the person is always dominating the animal. So it's total rape. But if you're so perverted that you would rape an animal, then you're perverted enough to rape children, rape 
strangers and do all kinds of other perverted things. So God said they have to be put to death too because they're going to spread the perversion. If they are willing to rape an animal, they're probably teaching their sons, their daughters to do the same sort of stuff. 19. He that sacrificeth unto gods, save unto the Lord only, shall be utterly destroyed. So that person also gets put to death again. If you're sacrificing to gods, then you're worshiping Satan. Back in this ancient time, sacrificing to gods usually meant slaughtering your own children for that god. So most people who sacrificed to gods were murderers. And a stranger shalt thou not wrong, neither shalt thou oppress him, for we were strangers in the land of Egypt. You can never harm foreigners. Treat them like family members. And that's a lesson for today. I know that's a very politically charged issue today. There's so many issues going on. But generally, we should not be cruel to foreigners, no matter what our laws are. We should make sure that we are never cruel to them. Throughout the entire Bible, over and over, he always commands his people to be good to strangers. 21. Ye shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. So again, you can't harm the helpless. If somebody's a foreigner or a widow or an orphan, you cannot harm them. Now, in today's society, people harm single women. You know, we don't have many widows anymore because there's so much divorce, but we have a lot of single women. We have a lot of orphans in our society, but they're not considered orphans because they still know their parents. They know who their parents are and their parents are alive. But in functional reality, they are orphans because their parents have rejected them or lost custody or walked out and deserted the family. So there's many people who are functionally orphans, but they aren't recognized as such. But God does recognize you as an orphan if your parents have abandoned you in any way. God recognizes you as an orphan. And believe me, he gets it's mad at anyone who hurts you. There's many people in our society today who are single women that are tossed out or children who are tossed out. And God is watching everyone who hurts them. And God will get revenge. We got to be really careful that we don't harm widows, orphans, or foreigners because God He'll come after us. He says revenge is mine. These are his pet peeves is when people harm the weak. I wanted to go backwards for a minute and talk about Hagar, because as we discussed in the last chapter, God hates it when women are tossed out, when they're used as a wife or to make children, and then they're thrown out of the family. He hates it. But he actually commanded Abraham to kick Hagar out of the family. How do we understand this? Well, in the Old Testament, he allows divorce. But he doesn't allow throwing women out like trash. You have to pay the dowry back to the father. You have to provide her with money to move forward. And you have to give her a certificate of divorce so that she can remarry legitimately without being an adulteress. Hagar didn't get a certificate of divorce, but she didn't need one because she was leaving the entire community. She was basically going back to her Egyptian roots. She was Egyptian, and she got Ishmael, an Egyptian wife. But she did deserve a dowry, and yet Abraham gave her nothing but a loaf of bread and a canteen of water when he set her out. And why was he still considered a righteous man? Because Abraham knew, and God knew that Abraham knew, 
that her dowry was coming from the Lord. God had told both Hagar and Abraham that he was going to make Hagar rich, and he did. He told her that from her would come a great, great nation, and from her son would come a great nation, and from her son would come twelve princes, and that actually did happen. Hagar was sent away from Abraham with nothing but a canteen of water and a loaf of bread. But Abraham knew that her dowry was coming from the Lord himself, and that's why he didn't have to pay it. The Lord paid her dowry for Abraham and for Hagar. Hagar was not mistreated, and she died a wealthy woman. Believe me, she did. Because Ishmael took care of her for the rest of his life, and he became a great nation, and he had 12 sons who were all princes in that great nation. By today's standards, Ishmael was certainly at least a millionaire. He was like a king. I know she started out in the desert with no water and thought she was going to die, but it didn't happen. God never intended that to happen. The angel came and said, hey, open your eyes. The water is right there. And from there on, it was just uphill all the way. 22. If thou afflict them in any wise, now this is talking about widows and orphans, for if they cry out at all unto me, I will surely hear their cry. Now you remember, if you're an orphan or a widow, basically if you've been tossed out in the cold as a woman, if no man married you or somebody used you for sex and then kicked you out of his life, and if you grew up without parents who took care of you and you went into the foster care system or whatever hardships came your way because your parents didn't take care of you, God considers you like the widow or the orphan. If anybody harms you, you cry out to God. He'll rescue you and he'll get justice for you. So trust him. Cry out to the Lord because he has written in his law that he's looking out for you and that he will come to your rescue and bring you justice. So don't hesitate to ask him for justice. 23. My wrath shall wax hot, and I will kill you with a sword, and your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. Now this is saying, if you harm the widow, the orphan, then I will take you out. But remember, this is the old covenant. People can still be forgiven in the old covenant, but they can't live the born-again life in the old covenant. And a lot of times they're not capable of changing their behaviors. And that's why God takes them out. In the new covenant, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be born again and become completely new creatures who don't act like that anymore, who don't act in evil ways anymore. And so we don't have to be taken out by God in the new covenant. When we repent of our sins and Jesus completely transforms us into new people, then God doesn't need to take us out. So don't worry that you're going to be killed if you sin, because we're in the new covenant now. All you have to do is repent. But in the old covenant, people couldn't receive the born-again life. So God did destroy them if they were harmful to others. 24. If thou lend money to any of my people, even to the poor with thee, thou shalt not be to him as a creditor, neither shall ye lay upon him interest. So now God is saying specifically, you cannot charge interest when you lend people money if they're in the family of Israel, even if they're a foreigner who entered or if they're the poorest of the poor in Israel. If they're a beggar at the temple who has no legs, you cannot charge them interest. You can only charge interest to other nations people who are in other nations. God says you can lend money to Israelites, but when they pay it back, they don't owe you one penny extra. 
You're allowed to get interest only when you lend to foreign nations. So it's evil to ask your own family for interest or to ask another Christian to pay you interest. If you loan money, they don't owe you interest. It's actually evil to ask for interest. So I want you to know that if you're a Christian. 25. If thou at all take thy neighbor's garment to pledge, thou shalt restore it unto him by that the sun goeth down. Say, I went to my neighbor and I said, I need some corn to eat for lunch, but I can't pay for it until tomorrow. And so my neighbor goes, okay, I'll give you some corn. You give me your coat as pledge that you're going to pay me tomorrow. But God is saying, you can only keep the coat throughout the day. You can't keep it overnight. Even though they can't pay you till tomorrow, they still get their coat it when the sun goes down because otherwise they're going to freeze to death. You can't let somebody freeze to death because they owe you money. See how compassionate God is? 26, for that is his only covering. It is his garment for his skin. Wherein shall he sleep? And it shall come to pass when he crieth unto me that I will hear and I am gracious. Because back then people used their outer coat to sleep in. 27. Thou shalt not revile God, nor curse a ruler of thy people. We can't curse our leaders, no matter how evil they are. And and yeah, they're pretty evil. But we can't curse them. We should be praying for them. And we cannot curse or revile God. We can't complain about and say how awful God is. That shows a very ugly black heart. When bad things happen, just realize that you're being tested and your love for God is being proved. So keep loving him. Keep believing. Don't revile him. Revile is like ranting. 28. Thou shalt not delay to offer of the fullest of thy harvest and of the outflow of thy presses. The firstborn of thy sons shalt thou give unto me. He doesn't mean to kill your son because he doesn't allow the Israelites or anybody to, to commit human sacrifice. But what he's saying is you have to pay a ransom for your firstborns. You don't have to pay a ransom for your other children, but the firstborn child, you have to pay a ransom to the Lord. It's like a special tithe just for that firstborn. To thank the Lord that you are now fertile, you've started your family. 29. Likewise shalt thou do with thine oxen and with thy sheep. Seven days it shall be with its dam. On the eighth day thou shalt give it to me. Now with the animal, the firstborn gets sacrificed. But the dam, which is the mother, she gets to breastfeed it for seven days. Why would God allow that if the animal's going to die anyway? Why would he allow it to breastfeed for seven days first? Because God loves his animals and he doesn't want the emotional torment of the mother losing her child right after birth because all the hormones are going crazy. And it will be really hard for the animal to get over losing a child that quickly. So you let her breastfeed for seven days so that she can bond with the baby and feel like she's done her motherly duty. And then you can take the baby away and sacrifice it. Because at that point, the sheep won't go crazy or the cow or whatever has had the baby. It won't go crazy losing the baby so quickly. Animals have feelings. God cares about the feelings of the mother, even if it's an animal mother. 30. And ye shall be holy men unto me, therefore ye shall not eat any flesh that is torn of beasts in the field, ye shall cast it to the dogs. If you find a dead animal, you're not allowed to eat it, you have to let the dogs of the town eat it, because it won't make them sick. But, you know, dead flesh could easily make people sick. And he says, because you're holy, you will eat clean food, you will not eat filthy food. Honor me by keeping your body well and not eating something that could have maggots or disease in it. If it's a carcass that you stumble across, it goes to dogs. It does not go to people. He loves us. He doesn't want us eating something that could be full of diseases. 
That concludes Exodus chapter 22.